Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We are recording. We're back again. Wait, it's like almost Thanksgiving. Like, how the heck did it's that It's crazy happen? how fast the, the time goes lately, isn't it? It's just shocking. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing, Bill. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. We're all getting getting old, getting old here and in these jobs. But we're back again. 27 speaks. Um, so that was Bill Sutton, whose voice you heard there at the top of the podcast. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here's Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And Joe Shaw's back again in the squeaky chair. You got that thing fixed yet, Joe? You like that? Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. It's like my trademark. (laughs) Hi, Joe. But you know I've got something to say when you hear it. So it's, hi. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive <laughs> editor of the Express News Group. Well, and I'm Annette Hankel, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group, and I don't have a squeaky chair, um, but that's okay. And it's not just us this week. We also have special guests with us, Kathy Burke Gonzalez, who just this week was elected the supervisor of East Hampton Town. Hey, Kathy, how are you? I'm great, and, and thank you for uh, inviting me to join you folks today. Well, it's fun to have you here. We always uh, we always like to bring in the sources. So this was a pretty exciting evening for you on uh, on Tuesday night, right? It, it was, and it was actually more emotional than I expected it to be. <laughs> um, you know, I am. There's only been three female supervisors in the history of our town. We just celebrated our 375th anniversary. Although, you know, women have only had the right to vote for 100 years. But it was 50 years ago that Judith Hope was elected the town supervisor. She was the first female supervisor on Long Island. Uh, You know, followed Judith was Mary Fallon and then Kathy Lester. So we haven't had a female supervisor in over 20 years. And, you know, for, you know, being a you know a mom to a young woman and I talk to girl dads all the time too you know representation matters and I'm just I I take that um very seriously that uh I get to you know be the supervisor of a community like the town of East Hampton but I also get to show our young girls and women that you know women can you know be leaders on the South Fork that's been less of a of an unusual thing in the last 10, 20 years, right? I mean, we've, we've had quite a few women in, in key roles on, uh, in town government and village government on uh, both in both Southampton town and East Hampton towns. So they've been willing to, to embrace that uh, a little more than a lot of communities. I mean, yeah, I mean, Southampton had Anna Thrown-Holst, so, um, but, you know, it's been a long time here in East Hampton. I mean, I mean, Bridget's been a tremendous representative for county legislator, but I think when you're talking on the town level, you know, when you're at the pancake breakfasts and, you know, Kiwanis Club fun days, you know, it's nice to see, you know, so, you know, a local uh, elected official. Absolutely. 
So now that you're moving into this role, I'm just wondering, how does being supervisor differ from being on town council? Are there things that you can do at the um, supervisor level that you had wanted to do at the town council level, but you were not able to? Yeah, I, well, I think that, you know, the supervisor's office, we, you know, that typically sets the agenda for the town board work sessions, although, you know, it's always been very democratic here uh, under Larry and Peter about putting forth topics to discuss. Um, I think that part of it is just going to be maybe the focus is going to change, you know, with uh, our administration moving forward in 2024, certain things. I think that we need to do a better job communicating with the public. I think that's one of the things we heard when we were out campaigning. You know, there's a lot of great work being done, but nobody seems to know about it. We'd like to think that people read the paper every week. But, you know, with busy lives, raising families, uh, that's not always the case. So I think we need to put this part out. Everybody reads the paper. (laughs) Sorry about that, Brandon. Everybody (laughs) reads the paper. Uh, I just remember as as a young mother when, you know, my kids were little and I was working full time. You know, when Jay Schneiderman was supervisor, he would send postcard mailings to the house. And that's how I a lot of times I got my information about what properties, you know, the town purchased with CPF, where we had community access to. So, you know, I would like to see us, um, and I really haven't talked about this too much publicly, you know, bring aboard a public information officer to help us put together a communications plan and, you know, e-newsletters, whether it's postcard mailings to the house, you know, really beef up our social media presence so that we're getting, you know, information to folks. Kathy, I'm curious, what's what's one of the issues that you found out people weren't really aware of? You said you were out talking to people during the campaign and they they were surprised to learn some things. What, For instance, what's what's one of the things that, that somebody was surprised to find out the town was doing? Well, the, the work that we were doing um, with the, the uh the roundabout, you know, we've been mm. talking about a roundabout, you know, over at Long Lanes, Stephen Hans Path, two holes of water. People were, you know, didn't realize that that was happening. Um, you know, when we did Hamlet studies and plans, people, you know, it was when we were presenting the results of something that people were like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't have a part, you know, I didn't participate in that. I didn't hear that was, uh, you know, mm. I didn't have my say. And I was like, well, that was a two or three year process. But you know, we get it. And, you know, people are busy. They've got, you know, a lot of demands on their time. So, uh, you know, the work that we've done, you know, um, with water quality that folks didn't know the projects that are happening in Akabonic Harbor, you know, so it's just, you know, why is there a, you know, a fence now in front of the blacksmith shop? Well, that's because we did a rain garden there and, and nobody knew, you know, what that was, you know, where the money came from. That was water quality money that was done. So it's just small projects, larger projects. We really need to do a better job communicating with our community. matter of just sort of changing what's on your website or maybe doing like what you had mentioned with Jay Schneiderman, sending out postcards or newsletters or just wondering how you think you might be able to get the message out more? Well, I think think definitely um, mailings to the home, 
you know, I, I postcards seem to work. People I know myself, sometimes when I get something in an envelope, it takes me a while. I don't do my mail until, you know, a week or two later. Um, so I think that's helpful. Uh, I think we need to do e-newsletters. Um, we are looking to revamp the website and make it, you know, uh, you know, more friendly and easier for people to navigate. And um, so, and then I think, you know, people don't understand what the clearing restrictions mm. are in our community. And you know, you're a new homeowner, you know, there, maybe we need to do some kind of welcome mm -hmm. package. Do you know what I mean? To understand that how things work and where you yeah. need a parking permit for and where you don't and it just make things more accessible. I mean, somebody had even proposed, um, and I know when my son went to Ohio State, the, the school had an app and there are towns now that are doing apps so that because people are used to being on their phones and, you know, is that something we could pursue down the road? You mentioned social media, and there's just so many ways to communicate with people now. Podcasts, uh, you know, uh, videos, uh, that, that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I think we could also probably think about sending out weekly mm -hmm. media advisories to the press so that, you know, things that we're working on, maybe certain, you know, give you an update on uh, where projects stand. I think sometimes folks will be like, well, I, you know, to your point, you asked me, Joe, about um, not everyone stays to the end of our meetings. Mm -hmm. And that's where we do the liaison reports. And we're talking about the projects we're working on and where things stand. So, you know, maybe there's a way to do a monthly newsletter. I know we've launched one internally. Our human resources department did that with our town employees. We're doing monthly newsletters to keep them more informed. But you know, it's really something uh, we need to work on. My background was in advertising. I was in that field for 30 years. Um, so, I, you know, I want to, although that was before, you know, the World Wide Web, <laughs> which <Sure>. dates me. <laughs> Changed everything. Yeah. So I wasn't really into the whole Facebook and Instagram uh, when I, during my career in advertising, but I, you know, we really need to lean into it more. We probably play a role in that too, that, that maybe there's some things we can do. Um, for instance, your, your point about people come here and they don't know some of the basic things about parking and, and rules for summer. Maybe that's something we can do. You know, it, people who come part-time for the summer might actually benefit from having sort of a one page guide that we could publish that just says, Here's all the stuff you need to know, yeah. you know, that you can hang on your refrigerator or whatever. I think people still that may happen less these days, but I think it's still something people would maybe hold on to. Yeah. And, and we could talk about beach fire regulations. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can have your you know, you can be out by your pool and have your Bluetooth on, but it has to be off by nine o'clock because, you know, that's oh, part that's of interesting. The code. So it's, you know, things like that. I think we could, you know, make it more, you know, it's uh, easier for, for folks, as you're saying, that, that come to visit and new homeowners, uh, second homeowners. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 
27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. I'm curious, what were some of the complaints maybe that you heard from the other side or people who weren't satisfied with town government? You know, was it, is it development? Is it, you know, small houses being torn down to make way for big houses and a feeling that the town isn't controlling development as much? I'm just wondering, you know, you probably got an earful on the campaign trail. And I'm just wondering what you were hearing from constituents about what they wanted to see perhaps done differently in town. Well, I think that, you know, the the zoning uh, work group that Kate Rogers, my colleague on the board, has has put together, and I've been sitting in on those meetings, uh, we had a work session and then we had a public hearing on the purposes of zoning. And I think we had 35 people speak at that public hearing and I think 33, if not more, were in support of it. So I think we're on the right track there. I know she's going to be coming forth. Um, hopefully before the end of the year with uh, some recommendations for house sizes and setbacks and, and whatnot. So that would affect the building envelope and the mass and scale on properties. I do know though that there's folks, you know, in the building trades and in the real estate trades that are nervous about it, right? Because they're feeling that this is going to be hit them in their pocketbook. So, you know, it's uh, we need to have a community wide conversation about it and, and make sure we can you know build consensus as we go along. Kathy, I feel like you're becoming supervisor on the cusp of a new era in a couple of really key uh, places um, with affordable housing, with sewage, with the impacts of climate change on coastal retreat. These are all going to be these are all issues that exist now but I think are really beginning to ramp up in importance uh, in the next five years or so. The town really has to take some action if, if in the long term you're going to gain on any of this stuff. What's your strategy, for instance, with sewers? We, we've been talking about the need in so many different parts of our community for there to be new sewer systems, and we've we were just discussing this morning among ourselves in the newsroom that, um, you know, every time a proposal comes up, there's an objection about where you put a sewage treatment plant. And that's, mm -hmm. that's true of every community we cover. And it's true of every proposal we've seen, basically. How do you get past that? What, you know, what's your strategy going to be to try and get over that hump? Well, I think, you know, if you want to talk about Montauk and, and dealing with the wastewater there, I think, and I, and I don't mean to be critical, but I feel like that plan, when that was served up and presented last December, it was like fully baked, that there wasn't enough community engagement. And I think that's where, you know, that we, we hit a roadblock. We, we need to bring the community along as we're making these big decisions. And I think that that was, um, you know, we we missed the we missed the mark there. Um, I know that CCOM has brought in um, Dr. Gobler, and he has been doing water testing and and a synthesis of all of the studies that have been done. I, I, I 
for that example, I think we need to come back a little bit to the drawing board and sit down with the community and have a, a, a town a community discussion on what we need to do moving forward and, and what the real problems are. Because I don't think that in that study that we had gotten presented in December of last year really spelled it out, you know, and it, I think there was some language in there that's frightened people and because we're not looking for more growth uh, in, you know, in the downtown area, but we do need to address uh, wastewater there. But when you seek public input on something like sewers, part of the downside to that is you get a you get people who simply are like, yeah, we definitely need them. Just don't put the plant here. And yeah. and when you get that response, uh, it's such a roadblock to moving forward. You you it's almost you're almost destined to irritate some people. There's going to be a place where it has to go. Um, and and that's a tough thing. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get over that that hump. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I will say, and it, it came out in the when we were doing the de the debate with Montauk United. Um, I did not support you know the the alienation of parkland, the seven acres in Heather Woods. Um, we you know which uh, we also didn't have the support of our you know state legislation. You know, legislators. I mean. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tony Palumbo and Fred Thiel were not supportive of parkland alienation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to work with our government partners, you know, in the in the state and the county level, too, um, as we try to solve some of these big problems. The benefit there being you, you're putting it out in the middle of of nowhere to some degree. But the downside is you're you're taking away parkland. Yeah. And, you know, I walked that property uh, back in February uh, with Rick Whalen, who was one of the leaders of you know, the, the coalition for Hither Woods. And um, I was, was, was a balmy day in February. It was a Sunday. And, you know, it really was taken aback by how many people were using those trails, mm -hmm. you know, in the off season like that. So what about housing? Uh, the town, along with so many, you know, the other towns on the East End have enacted the uh, community housing fund and it's beginning to collect some money that the town can use to start addressing affordable housing. What's the way forward there? What's the plan? Well, I think we, we, you know, we were anticipating, I believe in 2024, about somewhere between four to $6 million in that fund, which is, you know, it's great seed money, but it, you know, if a, a unit of an apartment unit with affordable housing is about a half a million dollars a unit. So the project we were looking to do on Route 114, 50 units is a $25 million project. So, you know, I think that we have to move forward looking at these as public-private partnerships, that it's not something that the town can fund itself. It's not going to get funded from that one, um, you know, pot of money. It's something that we have to, you know, work with the housing authority and other groups in order to, um, you know, really make meaning at you know at meaningful housing stock. It's better that way too, right? Because then the town's not the landlord. It is, you know, the only time, yes, because we're we're there's certain things that we're really good at, but you know, other things we need to know what our, what our place is, right? Have you gotten the pushback like you've gotten like on the maybe the sewage treatment plant has, you know, we I, we've seen in in Southampton town, you know, a lot of people not wanting affordable housing near them. Um, and I feel like that hasn't been 
as I don't know, maybe the opposition hasn't been as vocal. I haven't heard as much complaints about um, affordable housing units. I'm wondering what you're you're hearing. Yeah, well, I mean, I you know what we're doing the 16 units of single family houses um, on Cantwell Court, right off of you know Panago Road, 395 Panago. Uh, we did have hear from the neighbors. They came in. That was the prop property that we had purchased. It was 12 acres, seven acres for housing, five acres for preservation. We were going to put the preservation in the you know the, the in the front and put the housing towards the back of the property because it's long and narrow. And the community in that neighborhood said, well, would you consider, you know, flipping it and putting the housing, you know, up front and the trails and the open space in the back? And it, we're like, sure, we can do that. You know, like, let's, that makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll work with the, with the neighbors. You know, um, I know when we proposed the Route 114 project, um, there were neighbors that called in that were fully supportive of uh, putting the project. Uh, at that location. So, um, although we have in other instances, we've looked at property in Montauk that we've wanted to purchase for affordable housing. And um, the owners, when we, you know, full disclosure, we're looking at this for community housing. And they said, you know what, we're not interested in selling it to the town for that. We'll sell it to you for CPF for preservation, but we're, we're not looking to sell it to you for, for affordable housing. Uh. Oh, that's interesting. Why is that? I don't, you know, I don't know how to answer that, Joe. You know, I, I guess sometimes mm. the pushback can be for school districts too. Like I imagine some of the smaller school districts have expressed concern that it's going to make their taxes grow go up. Is that sort of not a thing anymore? We've sort of passed that argument. I'd like to think we're past that argument. I know a lot of the school districts have declining yeah. enrollment right now, so there's plenty of room. Uh, to grow without really having a big financial impact. So the the third of those three things, the climate change impact is really the biggest and the most long-term. What in your first term, what do you prioritize? What do you, what do you, what do you do first to start addressing this problem that's gonna take decades to, to resolve. Well, we're really hoping to get the grant from New York State for $600,000 to bring on consultants to help us start. That's another community engagement piece where we need to talk about to the community on how we, you know, adapt, protect our coasts and start having the conversation about managed retreat and what the triggers are there. You know, is it a do we have a managed retreat overlay district? I mean, we really, that, and that's going to be, you know, a thoughtful process that, you know, because there's going to be a lot of people that have, that are going to want to have their say and we want to hear from them. But I, I think that we've found that, you know, the projects that we have the most success on here are the ones where we bring the community in. You know, in the last couple of years, we've done a couple of surveys. It was really helpful for the um, helping us cut, get to the wireless master plan, where we heard from over 1,600 members of our community of what was important to them. It helped us draft the uh, the new code that we have, and and then once that gets adopted and and um, adopted into the comprehensive plan, we're hoping to now then do reach outreach to the providers to try to, you know, hear, we, we've documented where our gaps are and let's see if we can work with them 
to provide, um, you know, close those self-coverage gaps. So that was a really helpful process. We had, you know, a, a partner in that, that was Cityscape, you know, and they were, had the expertise on how to bring it to the public. Uh, we had a similar experience with um, R2 Architecture. We had a very robust community engagement with that for the new senior center on Abraham's Path. Um, we did a survey there. We had, um, you know, sessions in town hall and at the senior center where we invited the community in and exercises for them to do like charrettes like we did for the, um, the Hamlet study. And I think we just, we, we need that kind of community engagement for us to make informed decisions as a community and as a town board. I'm curious, Kathy, when it comes to climate change, in your interactions with the community and, and you talk about the need to have community outreach to discuss something so important, do you get the impression that the case has been made with most of the people in the community that, that they acknowledge the problem at least, that that's step one towards trying to figure out what the town's gonna do about it. But you gotta get over, you know, you've gotta get past that. Do, do you think the town is there? I do, I, I, we have a very educated uh, populace and I think that for the most part, most of our community members understand, you know, what we're dealing with. I, I will say that, you know, back in 27, I guess it was 2019, when we were starting to get opposition um, to the wind farm, and the cable going under Beach Lane, I had chose to educate myself and I went down to Atlanta and trained with uh, Vice President Al Gore to better understand you know, climate change and it became a climate reality leader. And it was almost like a light bulb went off in, in my own mind because some things I hadn't really pieced together before, um, you know, the southern pine beetle, you know, and I said this, uh, you know, it's not called the northern pine beetle or the mid-Atlantic pine beetle, right? It's the southern pine beetle. Our winters are warmer, this, you know, um, and they're, it's devastating our landscape. You know, we had to, after Superstorm Sandy, raise part of Gerard Drive because it was underwater. You know, we had a few years back the dust storms in Amagansett because we had so much rain that fall, the tractors couldn't get through, couldn't get the potatoes out of the ground. And uh, by the time the cover crop went in, it was too really too late. It really, it never germinated. The birds came through and then we had these high winds and we were, you know, blowing all of that dust um, in downtown and uh, Amagansett. Um, so it's not just our, you know, our coastlines that we're concerned about. It's like, and I, I guess that going to that training session really pulled it all together and, you know, to understand that, you know, we're fighting this. And then the concern with, um, you know, we saw the wildfires in Canada and Hawaii and the West Coast. And we were concerned about Napeak Stretch with, uh, you know, it was dry and all those felled trees from the pine, southern pine beetles. It's just compounding. So you know, it's um, climate change is, you know, it's it's hitting us from all angles, quite frankly, not just our right. coast where most people that, you know, I, I think uh, that's our first thought is, you know, coastal resiliency, you know, strengthening our coastline. So Kathy, is East Hampton town, are you already on New York state stretch code? Yes, uh, we, we passed it. We're waiting for the department of state 
to come back and approve it to give us the, the thumbs up. That's interesting. You would think when it's a New York State initiative <laughs> that once the town board passes it, it should go into effect. It's it, so that you have to go back to the state again and have them say it's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, with any doing. legislation we pass, Brendan, it has to go to the Department of State yeah. and they have to review it and make sure. Uh, then the town clerk gets a, you know, a notification that it has been basically accepted and it's, it's law. What is that code? Uh, it's so it's just in building so that we're we're building um, you know more energy efficient you know homes in our community. It particularly goes into effect when you're over the forty five hundred square feet um, and making so so you need to do solar. You might need to do geothermal in order to uh, you know reduce greenhouse gas emissions with our building trades. You know, Joe, my understanding of stretch code is we have a building code. It gets updated every three years. The state is taking recommendations from an international building code uh, body that works on these things to make kind of best practices that they can recommend, not just within a state or nationally, but globally. The stretch code takes what is the current code and puts you ahead by three years in terms of energy efficiency. So whenever they make this code, they're always looking ahead at what's the next step going to be, what's the next step going to be. And they know they have to make incremental changes because you can't make changes so quickly that the building industry and the manufacturers can't keep up with them. So certain communities in New York State could say, we want to be more energy efficient than the New York State building code requires. So we're going to opt in to the stretch code, we're gonna opt in to be three years ahead of everybody else. So this is only about new construction then, is that right? Yeah, I I, I would have to go back and look if it also covers uh, substantial renovation, I don't think. So as far as the, the wind um, the wind power um, field off of Wayne Scott, have you have, have people become more accepting of that? You know, there's, there's so much uproar when it was talking about bringing the cable on shore and the work that was done along Beach Lane to to lay the cables and things like that. Has that has that criticism kind of gone away as far as you've seen? Yeah, I, in fact, you know, it's it's looks better than it did before, right? They buried lines. They and then we uh, improved the parking down there. We fixed the flooding issue that was, a, you know, a problem. So the infrastructure uh, has actually been improved down there. We've, I believe, you know, the Wainscot CAC had also asked for additional parking spaces, which uh, we had to do some uh, legislation on as far as uh, permitting that. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a nicer, more inviting area now. I'm also not sure yet. Like, how is how is that um, wind farm? Is it gonna make our electric go down? Because I think that that's also like some of the people hoping that that's what's gonna happen. And you know, how is that how is that wind farm gonna benefit the people of East Hampton? Well, I mean, it's I'm hoping it's going on. Um, last I heard, it was gonna be you know um, go on before the end of the year. But I mean, it's going to be able to have uh, you know fuel. 70,000 homes with green energy. I mean, it's going to go into yep. the grid, but you know, it means that we have need fewer peaker plants, right? It's just It's not actually going to cut uh rates though, right? I mean, I think no. actually it's probably the opposite. We're going to probably pay a little extra because we're at the, we're ahead of the curve a little bit. 
but but we all benefit in the end right because it's, mm-hmm. it's bringing in green energy and, and it's just better for for the planet that's part of that transition right kathy can i ask you about rowdy hall and and um i i think it would be remiss if we didn't if we didn't talk about it and the reason i ask i know it's not it's not your board it, it's it's the arb but we had posted a story um you know about about them coming in and and um, putting on primer or black paint or or whatever it was and and then looking at the comments on social media on the story it, it's the it's the town board that seems to take the hit whether people don't know that it's an arb decision or or not i mean calls are for the for the town board i guess to to to, to get involved and how I, I you know the bigger question is as, as supervisor how do you how do you deal with with that reaction when you're you're obviously on the front lines and people are going to point to to you and and the town board when when issues like this come up and people are um some people are are you know up, upset with a, a decision so i think well first of all you know some of you may know that my husband worked at Rowdy hall for 25 plus years uh when they opened in 90, 1996 um, so I think what this showed us is that, um, first of all, as an independent board, we do appoint the ARB members, but, you know, the town board is, uh, does not get involved in any of their decision-making process. But I think what it showed us is that we need to go back and take a look at the code. We are the legislators, so we could go back and if there's confusion or if people think that it's too subjective, then that's on us to, you know, make a, you know, an amendment to the code. And we will certainly talk about that come January. I think the other thing is, you know, prior to COVID, uh, board members received um, continuing education. We really haven't been keeping up on that since COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'd like to see, um, and I might believe my uh, fellow board members do as well. We need to get back on that routine and, you know, help uh, give board members, you know, guidance and uh, education on, you know, how to build a record, you know, and um, and maybe some primers on on the code. But personally, do you see a black facade as being objectionable in that spot? Uh, I do not personally. You know, I thought that when Frank read the. Uh, one of the board members read the letter from um, the architect critic from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, it, I thought that that was, you know, ample justification for painting it black. I also uh, believe that if it is subjective, um, you had probably over a hundred people send in emails saying that they thought that it was fitting in downtown Amagansett. Uh, so. I think the community weighed in too, although it wasn't a public hearing. But um, you know, I probably would have come forward with a different decision. I personally love it. I think it would be great to be black, but that's just me. <laughs> well, the green that it was before was not doing that building any favors. <laughs> Good point. And if that's the biggest problems we have to solve in East Hampton, we're doing really well. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, and to your point, Bill, too, I think that there's a lot of folks that there is confusion. There's confusion between East Hampton Town and East Hampton Village. Right. You know, 
one of, you know, we'll take action and people blast the trustees or the mayor or, or they'll take an action and they, you know, they're, they, they're piling on us. So, you know, I think that there's folks too, and maybe that's part of, you know, our education and our public information. There's a lot of folks that really don't understand how government works out here. You know, I've had somebody say to me, you know, I can't vote for you because I live in the village. I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) you can. (laughs) Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork wind farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. But that's interesting. Like, are there places where you um, do coordinate with the village government and other places where maybe you can um, coordinate more or um, work together on things that, that maybe are done more separately now? Mm-hmm. Well, where, where we coordinate quite a bit is with CPF purchases. We have a, a, a Ten percent of the the monies that we take in with CPF are dedicated to you know purchases in East Hampton Village, so we've been work you know we work with the uh, with the village on those kinds of things. They'll come to us when there's something that they want us to look into to acquire. I was trying to think like yeah, there's some probably some very dark painted bu- buildings in the village, right? <laughs> maybe that's why this is coming up in the town that's interesting because you usually think about village maybe as being more strict on things in the town not as strict but in this case i guess the color of- well i guess you know the village i don't believe you know the downtown area is not a considered an historic district right. and this was, you know and, and it was guidelines if you look at the code it's guidelines mm-hmm. so and, and again so kind of subjective mm-hmm. yeah yes Kathy, say say a little bit about Peter Vanskoyak and how he's, you know, what role he served in setting you up to be the next supervisor. You know, Peter's, I've been a colleague for, for 10 years and um, since I first got on the board and, you know, he's been uh, a delight to work with. Um, his leadership during COVID was exemplary, how we brought uh, you know, he personally drove up the island to get um, vaccines for for our residents and put together, you know, with David and and others the um, the clinics that we held at the CDCH building. So that was, you know, you know, extraordinary. And um, you know, I think people seem to think that because we are all Democrats, that we're all in lockstep with each other, that we think alike, and it couldn't be anything further from the truth. You know, we all come with our own life experiences, and um, but we discuss things, you know, in our offices, and it's always been cordial. And um, you know, Peter and Sylvia, you know, will be will be missed here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think it's interesting, like as you know as far as the politics like republican versus democrat democratic um politicians it, it, i i feel like those labels don't have the same weight as they do at other offices and i wonder if you could talk about that a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Annette. I think that, you know, when, when I served, um, Fred Overton and I both got elected in 2013, and um, it was just, we don't really think about party at this level. It's just about what's the right thing to do for our community. And I think we just need to respect each other enough if there's, you know, a vote that's coming up and you're not on board with it. You give your colleagues a heads up and let them know, or you have, you know, a discussion. There's a dialogue as to why your position is your position. And, and they they do similarly. And sometimes, you know, when we see it from somebody else's perspective, you know, we can agree with them. So, um, yeah, it's 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 too bad it's you know has gotten so polarizing in our country i think that you know how i wish we had a strong two-party system in our community here in east hampton i think that that would be really serve our residents well but you know um that hasn't been the case for the last 10 years or more so so with you moving up to the supervisor position that's going to leave um a position in town council right mm -hmm. so how how um will that be filled um going into the new year so we, I, you know, we're going to be holding a transition meeting um, later this week, and we're going to discuss how that's going to happen. But what I'd like to see is uh, we want to cast a really wide net. Um, I'd like to put out an email address and maybe the, the press will, will print it where people could send maybe it's funny. I was talking to my daughter about this, like what to call it, serve eht at gmail.com. Send us, you know, a note that you're interested in serving on the town board or an appointed board, a citizen committee. And, you know, so we're sometimes we tend to look within our own circles and, you know, just looking for a town board member that, you know, shares our values and, you know, regardless of what party they are affiliated with and, you know, uh, cares deeply about East Hampton, understands that the job is 24 seven. You know, as a council person, it's uh, it doesn't stop. Um, there's always, you know, we make hundreds of decisions a day, you know, and you just you know need to have conviction when you do make those decisions. They're not always going to be popular. Uh, that's why I was always a fan of coming through the school board because, you know, you really thickened your skin. Nothing is more personal than your children. Um, so it really helps when you're, you know, when you're in public office here. But um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, we really want to just broadcast it, you know, widely. And you do envision appointing somebody um, to, to fill the, the un your unexpired seat until until yeah, yeah. I guess next next year there would be an election. Yeah. So they would so they would have to run uh, in that in 2024 mm -hmm. to have the, the last year of my term. And then I believe that there's some legislation now before uh, Governor Hochul that passed both the Senate and the uh, Assembly that they want to get local elections on even years. And um, so that if uh, if I were to run in 2025, it would only be a one-year term, not a two-year term, mm. to get that position on the even year. And I believe then um the council members it would be a three-year term rather than a four-year term to get them lined up but for something that i had read said but that that's for all the positions with the exception of justice because of the way the new york state constitution is written 
So then we would still be having, you know, elections every year. It just it's it's kind of a head scratcher, really, what they've uh, looking to do. But I guess you know the concern is that this past election, you know, we were predicting that thirty percent of the elector, you know, registered voters would vote, and I think that we netted out somewhere near that. So they're mm-hmm. looking for more, you know. For those folks that run in, you know, that typically vote in, you know, presidential elections, that if we get this on the, on the even year schedule, we'll get more, you know. Makes sense. So do you be, do you get a new office at town hall? Or are you? Uh... I do, I do get a new office. <laughs> wow. I'm in a completely different wing in town hall. Wow. wow. It's good to be king. Yeah. Although I like where I am now. I call it my perch because I'm on the second floor and I overlook the parking lot and I can see who's coming and going. <laughs> so that's going to be tough to give up because I really, I mean, it's really a privilege to work in East Hampton Town Hall. It's really a beautiful really? space. Um, a lot of different climates, you know, it's hot in some places and cold in others because of the nature of the building and you know we have the original windows <laughs> that's great not energy that is not energy efficient right no that we need to work on that <laughs> well there you got your first marching order yeah we're really excited to get this transition going and um you know we're gonna shake things up a little bit in the new year i think folks are ready for that and uh it's just you know, it's the honor of my lifetime. Well, congratulations again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And best of luck. Appreciate that. And hopefully we'll be in communication much more frequently because it's important to get the word out to our community through your wonderful paper. Uh, Did you hear that? That was a volunteering to be (laughs) on our podcast frequently. (laughs) So you'll be back. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sacharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.